Welcome to What If So What, the podcast where we ask what's possible with digital, figure out how to make it real in your business. I'm Jim Hertzfeld. And I'm Kim Williams Chopek. We're part of Proficient's digital strategy team. And today we'll ask what if, so what, and most importantly, now what? I was going to start this episode with a list of books and movies that more or less rely on artificial intelligence and robots to tell their story. 2001 A Space Odyssey, classic, iRobot, Her, the super underrated Ex Machina, please go see that great movie. Of course, every Star Wars movie, and there's even a movie that's just called AI. And there are too many other movies to mention, and I was going to try to make a point that AI is one of those big ideas been around a long time. It just sort of uniquely captures everyone's imagination. It's done so forever, even before it was viable or made sense. And I was thinking of other things like flights and bionic arms and even time travel, which as far as we know, hasn't happened yet. You know, these are the things that sort of capture a lot of imagination. And I think that's, that's what makes it so relevant. But I think with AI in particular, it's really come into its own in the last couple of years. So I started looking for some, some evidence of that. And I found some kind of interesting statistics and, and predictions. For example, this year, about 15% of all customer service interactions around the world are expected to be fully powered by AI. That's in, in fully powered. I mean, you're, you're talking to a robot. And that's okay because uh, another survey said that 62% of consumers are willing to submit their data and their privacy to AI, not a person, if it produces a better experience. And so I think the result of that is it's predicted that in the next four years, that about 95% of all customer interactions, including live telephone and online conversations, are going to have some sort of AI underpinning. And so the message is clear. AI is here. It's moving fast. You need to be ready for it. And there is a lot of what if going on here. And so we asked Christine Livingston, Proficient's Chief Strategist for Artificial Intelligence to join us and help make sense of it. We're excited to have you here today, Christine. Thanks for having me, Jim. Glad to be here. So many conversations about this topic. So let's just dive in. I've got, uh, I've got sort of a first question that I think weighs on a lot of people's minds around AI and just sort of the universe. And if we just had this conversation, is it, what does it begin and end? But it, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning, th this is not a new concept. You know, this is, goes way back to sort of early science fiction, all the way up to, I always think of, of Hal, right? I always think of 2001 and, and uh, just some great sort of early sci-fi novels. But then you kind of go up to making it real. Like I think of the deep blue chess match and what a big deal that was. So it's not, it's not a new topic, but it feels like it's especially new lately. You know, AI machine learning, data science. How do you break down the universe today? Well, it's a great question. And there's quite honestly, really educated opinions that fall on many different sides of this fence. So quite broadly speaking, artificial intelligence is really the ability for a computer to emulate human-like thought processes, right? So that could be anything from simple decision trees to complex rules, but really, I think when people talk about artificial intelligence today, they're typically talking about capabilities driven by machine learning. And machine learning is the ability for an algorithm to adapt, right? To either learn from experience or learn from data without being explicitly programmed. 
So without having to create a complex program or prescribe rules or decisions, can we leverage algorithms that can learn either independently or with some level of supervision? And I think broadly when the term artificial intelligence is used today, most people are thinking of capabilities with an underpinning of machine learning, again, this ability to adapt through experience or data. And there are many different technology capabilities that are built on that fundamental concept, right? So you start to have things that are vision focused. Can we actually interpret images in objects? Can we break down video the same way people would, right? Can we detect objects? Can we pull out key key concepts, key text from images? Similarly, speech capabilities, right? Can we generate and transcribe speech? And can we provide reasoning similar to a human thought process? So there's a lot of different, let's say, building blocks that go into this broad concept of artificial intelligence. And typically, we'll kind of break them down into thinking like machine learning, data science capabilities, natural language processing, which is all about understanding the way humans inherently communicate, which is in an unstructured way, and then speech and vision, which I just gave some examples of. Um, and then typically you have some notion of a cognitive solution that will often have many of those different elements sort of bundled together, so to speak. Your breakdown really resonated with me because it's all about sort of sensing what's around us. You talk about vision and video and speech and the processing, sort of this augmentation you know, of the machine on its own, right? Just the ability to process all the inputs. You know, when you think about those accomplishments, I mean, I'm, again, I'm drawn right away to sort of the, sort of the sci-fi sort of autonomous element of it and sort of consciousness. But I think there are a lot of really fundamental things that I hear about quite a bit from our clients, which might be as simple as sort of dis displacing or automating something. Like how can we make this sort of manual task automated, you know, so how can I make this manual process of maybe verifying a form, let's say, to uh, make that automated so that the machine can kind of reason that and sort of displace uh, a manual a process, right? It seems like a very self-contained use case. Or I hear things a lot about um, next best action or being able to, to sort of predict someone's propensity to buy or, or personalize an experience. So what are some of the reasons you think you know, aside from the technology being more effective, the technology is is more sophisticated. But what are some of the other reasons that clients are are adopting AI and machine learning? I listed a couple of them, but like, what are people really trying to solve out there? Yeah, I think those those are good examples, Jim. I think you can think very broadly. Typically, you're either trying to simplify and improve your customer experience, or you are trying to gain operational efficiencies through automation. And there are hundreds, if not thousands of manifestations, right, of each of those categories. But when you start to think about improving the customer experience, that can be through things like individually personalized, tailored messages and engagement. So who are you as an individual? How can you reach someone on an individual level? Understand who they are, what their needs are, what they're engaging with you for. Personalization is a huge topic. Also thinking about customer experience, again, through the lens of things like the, the buying process. 
How do I make the right decision? How do I select the right vehicle? How do I pick the right insurance plan? How do I find the right shoes for my sister's wedding? Guided shopping in many, many specific examples, using artificial intelligence to just help people along their journey, help them make informed decisions without having to have a human staff available 24-7 to support that. And then through things like self-service. And there's there's a really fine line, right? Everybody's got an FAQ site up. Typically, if you're looking for that type of information, you're probably looking for something a little deeper than how do I return the shoes I bought, right? You're probably looking for deeper information that will be a more unique scenario. So how can we start to use artificial intelligence, you know, to to go past the frequently asked questions and the simple tasks to maybe those moderate tasks, right? So how do we start to automate and provide self-service for medium complexity things? Make a bill payment, change my lease due date, things that are not overly complex, but it's not something I can do just by looking at predetermined and prescribed answers. And there's a lot of customer experience associated with those things, right? If I can apply for a new mortgage without having to walk into a branch and it happens in minutes, you've significantly improved my experience with your brand. So thinking through you know, the experience side. So I, I really like that because one of the things that, that we talk about a lot, Kim and I talk about quite a bit, is some of the best designed experiences, the ones that solve our clients' customers' problems. I love to hear that list and I love the I love the idea that you know we're so we're, we're leaving sort of like the the burden of the customer the service agent or maybe the front desk but really really focusing on the the common problems that that customers are trying to solve that aren't that aren't that easy maybe they don't come off that often like if someone can program or develop an AI experience on canceling cable I uh, that would, I'd like to hear about it because it's one of the <laughs> I, I cut the cord recently I gotta tell you it was not easy to do it was not even five hours later yeah it was not even easy <laughs> to figure out how to do it like where do we even begin that's another sort of you know obfuscation problem I'm sure good business reasons for it but we won't go there I don't want to don't want to alienate anyone but yeah I love the idea of great customer experience really focused in, on customer empathy and in solving the problems that they have so I love that that aspect of design. And of course, there's 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 huge operational efficiencies to be gained as well. So as you mentioned, automating tasks, pulling information off of forms, entering data from one system to another, you know, drawing conclusions from information. And again, typically it's not, you're not going to make your most complex decisions with artificial intelligence, but starting to alleviate some of the the simpler to more moderate challenges so you can save the hardest problems for people to solve, um, but tons of opportunity for operational efficiency, right? And that's looked like understanding supply and demand, right? Predicting where might I need specific product? How do I prepare for it? How do I understand, you know, what my sales are likely to be in the next six months? How do I simplify a mortgage application process, right? Rather than having it be a 20-step process, can it be one? And, you know, companies like Lemonade, for example, have made great strides in, let's say, long-standing industries, right? They're doing insurance like it was never thought of before, doing it with an AI-first mentality. And I think you'll start to see those types of disruptors pop up more and more as you start to realize some of the operational efficiencies with AI. 
when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Yeah, I love that. I, you know, I love the one of the phrases that, that hit me a few years ago is reducing the, the chair swivel, which was, I had to think about that for a second, but the idea when you talk about efficiencies and, and internal processes, it's just, yeah, it's literally like someone in a chair taking paperwork from the inbox, you know, on the left, swiveling the chair over, getting it done, swiveling over further, putting it in the outbox. Um, it reminds me of a um, client I was at several years ago. It's been a while, but a pretty advanced leader in their industry. I remember being kind of shepherded from one room to the other. And we had to go through this big room and there were probably 100 people in there in desks. It was like a Kafka-esque sort of image of the 30s or 40s. It's just people just shuffling paperwork. And I remember, I mean, how how is this possible? And they said, you know, there's a lot going on here. We just, we've, we've analyzed everything. We, we just haven't built a business case to, to automate that yet. I doubt that that is still the round because that was probably 15 years ago, but it could be. But again, you know, I, just, I just love that that idea concept of reducing the swivel or reducing the number of paper clips, you know, that, <laughs> that accounts payable is buying. Maybe that's another indicator. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff. That AI isn't something you just buy off the shelf. I mean, it's um, some might argue with me, but you know, maybe you can get started there. But I think it's uh, like a lot of technologies it takes. It takes a lot of things, you know, it takes people in process to make it work. Um, one of the aspects, and we've talked to some of our colleagues about this is, you know, what are some of the sort of skill sets and elements that make this work well? And we keep coming back to two types of roles around data, the data geek, you know, who's sort of a technical expert and understands the technical implementation of the data, databases, queries, and so on. And then there's the data science who kind of converts it into information and understands it from a, a business perspective. Is that, are those like two worlds that are colliding around the, you know, your, your world, your AI world? What's your, what are your thoughts on those two skill sets? And, and, and is there something else we're missing? Well, I think more than any other technology space I've been involved with in my career, artificial intelligence requires a true partnership between your technical team and your business team. And it's, you can almost liken it to the transition from waterfall to agile, right? Where in a waterfall world, business would start, here's our requirements, here's what you need to build, send it over to technology, technology would build something, they would get feedback. And it was, it was continually this back and forth, right? But not a lot of, of true partnership or engagement on the in-betweens. And as agile methodologies you know, have become more prominent, Business and stakeholder ownership and sponsorship throughout the program has really become more of the norm. And I, I liken the need for that in artificial intelligence because you will inevitably be always finding this balance between what is the data telling me? What do I see in my models and my algorithms and my output? And how do I translate that to the real world meaning? And your business owner, your business stakeholders who understand the nuances of the output of the data are critically important. And an ability to talk between that technical and that business focused resource is oftentimes the key to success for artificial intelligence and data science problems. Because if you say, you know, I see that the model's telling us that we are five times as likely to need widget X, but no one actually knows what that represents, you can't make a practical application or real world use out of that, 
right? Somebody has to translate what is widget X? What does that mean? How do we actually prepare our business to support the output of the model? Or how do we impact that outcome accordingly, right? So that, that partnership is critical. It's sort of garbage in, garbage out on steroids, right? I mean, just that's, that's yeah, it's got to it's got to be got to be in, in alignment. Absolutely, and and as you're going through your model iterations, which happen frequently, right? There needs to be ongoing participation. It's an iterative process that's going to require frequent input again from both sides. So somebody has to understand the data, and somebody has to understand how to interpret that data as well. So there's um so that's kind of not an easy shift, right? I mean, we know that digital and digital transformation has a huge wake of sort of change management behind it. I think this is no no different. But there's a lot of other people, process, and technology challenges. But one of the unique, I think, aspects or challenges that AI and ML present are some of the ethical challenges, like whether it's sort of a displacement of human capital, so I'm being replaced by robots, or I don't know if anybody's watching The Mandalorian, but I'm not going to spoil anything. But <laughs> you know, the Star Wars saga, there's some pretty interesting deepfake representations, right? Pretty and pretty darn impressive. But, you know, that could create some ethical challenges as well, or even just challenges around the design and the algorithm, like embedding design, I'm sorry, bias or, or inclusivity gaps in the design. There's a whole new set of territory. Are you seeing some of that sort of emerging or just accelerating? And how do you, how do you see people dealing with those types of issues? Yeah, I mean, I think you, I think you can break that up into, you can address that in two parallel tracks, right? One is definitely... The change management element and you know there's articles every other day i saw once i think a calculator put out that said you know how likely are you to be replaced by ai and you could put your job function in and it would, it would predict for you how many years out until you were replaced um, wow. so i think there's there's a notion of change management and fear of replacement that needs to be addressed and it's it's like any other industrial revolution that's occurred, right? You're not truly displaced. Your job function just changes and adapts, right? And so I think addressing some of those concerns head on through an OCM function is really critically important. On the ethical side, there's definitely a lot more focus and attention, you know, being shed on on that particular area. So, you know, whether you're thinking like iRobot and, you know, how do, how do we keep the robots good or keep the AI good or intelligent, right? Just keep to, the robots happy. <laughs> exactly, that's, that's right? Great. You know, to even more modern things, like um, if you've seen the social network, right, there are, there are technology founders who are committing to and dedicating to organizations and institutions around ethical AI. So there's a lot of focus on it. But this is where, again, that, that understanding of not just what does the data and the model tell us, but like, what does that actually mean in a real world application is really important. So again, like some, some well-known examples, but recently a company trained a recruiting platform, right? They were trying to create a, rec a model to predict and select the best candidates for job openings. And they trained it on executives from the past, you know, 50 plus years. And what they saw was that the model had an implicit bias for white men. And in retrospect, you can say, well, of course it did, because every resume that you fed it, right, 90 plus percent of those were white men. So therefore, there will be that same implicit bias. But I think somebody has to take the time to stop, look at the output, 
interpret it in a real world lens way and understand what are the moral and ethical implications of this model? And do we need to adjust the way that we train the model, the way that we inform the model, or the way that we interpret the output to account for, again, some of those moral and ethical dilemmas that will inevitably occur? That's fascinating. And it's like, this is not a, what's, what I think is really interesting is this is, this is not an, it's not an academic question you're, you're bringing up. These are real, we're dealing with them right now. We have to deal with them right now. And it sounds like there's a, a lot of attention around it as well. So if there's one thing, you know, just to kind of bring this to a close, there's a, a lot of ways that customers uh, or clients or organizations can deal with AI and ML. But what, if there was sort of one piece of advice, if there's one thing you could share with an organization who was maybe just kind of getting involved, what would you, what would you tell them? I would, I would tell them definitely to take a step back and think big about what they're trying to accomplish as an organization, as a business, even as a specific function within that business before they dive headfirst into AI ML. So, so think about where you're trying to go again, where there's opportunities for operational efficiency, for improved experiences, and start to start to plan a little bit more proactively so that as you start to implement your AI solutions and capabilities, you can tune and adjust based on, again, your real world understanding and where you're trying to head, right? Your North Star will help keep you grounded and ensure that you start to build some of those applications for scale for the future. And so they can be, you know, kind of reused and leveraged organizationally in a more meaningful way. If I'm hearing it, just maybe kind of saying one of my favorite phrases, which is sort of think big, start small, move fast, get started, learn from it, iterate, but have a North Star. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> I'll write that up somewhere else. All right. <laughs> Christine, thanks so much. It's always great to catch up and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Jim. Now it's time for our namesake segment. What if, so what, most importantly, now what? Hey, Kim. Hey, Jim. I was going to uh, make a prediction, but that would just be a terrible pun. But why don't you tell me <laughs> what you um, what you thought? What did you hear? Oh, this was so resonant with me. We just finished watching Raised by Wolves. Talk about pop culture references. It's a new Ridley Scott series on HBO Max. It was a very good series all about AI. And like Christine's saying, it's a pretty old concept with a lot of mystery and potential fear around it. But once you demystify it, it seems pretty actionable and a lot less scary, less robots taking over the world and more, you know, how can we automate to simplify and improve customer experiences? Still, it seems like a potential misunderstanding of what AI really is. So I appreciated Christine's breakdown of how companies should think about it and you know, what makes up AI. It's not just AI capability and you can't just implement AI. I, I think that belies kind of the misunderstanding of it. And I, I thought it was an interesting conversation. Yeah, it's not a, it's not something you just pull off the shelf, right? Right. I'll come back to that. Right. In some ways right. it is, but. Well, <laughs> yeah, and to that end, I really liked also her comparison of, of the, like a maturity model for AI the comparison to how you know we've moved from waterfall to agile, it does seem like there's a lot of similarities. And then I really thought her kind of closing comments around how we really implement and how we think about implementing these machine learning algorithms to get away, like the implicit bias issue is out there, but it's sort of like, 
what are you leaving on the table when you don't address those biases? Especially if your business goal is to improve customer experience, you really need to consider all of your customers. So how do you really think tactically about building machine learning models to, yes, you know, obviously not be biased, but really consider customer needs? Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting, too, because one of the things we didn't touch on, maybe we can save this for another another episode, is something we're calling journey sciences. And I think in another episode, Chris Bernard talked about computational design. The idea that even building empathy can benefit from some deeper analytics and maybe some AI and ML techniques. Yeah, because people, what people say is not always what they do. And right. so this idea- We of, know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's where I think data tells, uh, not the whole story, but can, can tell a lot, of story, a lot of the story. And that's where I thought, that's where this loop sort of closes, right? We're using AI and ML to, to reach customers. We're also using to kind of under, further understand what their needs are. And, and to your point, taking out the machine, depending on, of course, how you train it, and that doesn't have the implicit bias or blind spots that, that we do as humans. So I think that's a fascinating topic. And I think that um, it goes back to the other soft part of this, and Christine alluded to that, and we talked about this a lot as well, is this sort of connection between the engineer and the business. A classic, classic organizational friction point. Yeah, exactly. An alignment opportunity. Yes. And, but I, you know, I still think, you know, she made it very clear and this has always been the case, right? I think it's just amplified with AI and ML is we got to turn data into information. We've got to turn information into insights. And, and that's why you'll always need an expert right. with a beating heart, right? And, <laughs> and, yeah. and a pulse. So, yeah, so, um, and, and I think that's never going to be lost. And so, and I like the idea too that, you know, you did, and I think there's some evidence behind this. I think there's pulling up a few stats I mentioned earlier, but the evidence is in, this is definitely growing and taking hold, but that's all, there's some evidence that there is some displacement uh, underway, but there's just as much evidence that those jobs and those roles are being repurposed, right? We're being, and we're focusing on more, more valuable things as we get our time back. Right. So getting away from this notion of robots are going to steal my job to robots are going to enable me to do my job better or a different job that can really drive more business value. Kim, that kind of brings me to the what if here. And I think maybe there's a couple of in here and I was thinking of, but I was starting to think of one sort of cohesive what if around AI and ML. And my first reaction was, what if I didn't have to do anything, right? What if, <laughs> what if you know, what if my, I woke up in the morning and uh, the snow was shoveled and the breakfast was made and all my email was read and responded to, right? Wow. And so- yeah, and so I may be taking things a little too far, but um, oh, that you know, sounds pretty good. I'd sign up for that. <laughs> yeah, I guess I wouldn't even get out of bed. There would be no, you know, I wouldn't. <laughs> but um, you know, but I think uh, I think you know, there's some there's there's some reality there. I think is the answer. The so what is not well. I wouldn't do anything. To me, the part of the exploration is what is more important to to focus on. That to me is is kind of a big promise of AI. So. What could be more efficient? What could be, you know, I think of autonomous vehicles. That's another one. We didn't even get into that, but it's, yes, I don't have to, I could take a nap on my drive to Chicago, right? But, right. but that's, um, but. You've talked about that theory before. Yes, yeah. That, that's it's, it's sort of like, but thinking about that effort to achievement, you know, how do you get there? 
No, well, but the other thing I think is it's not just the the automation of things. I think it'd be it's a better. I mean, again, the data is in. It's a safer experience. My car has an automatic braking feature, emergency braking feature. It has kicked in a couple times. Not gonna lie, I'm glad it did. I mean, I I think I was <laughs> I was gonna stop anyway. But you know, I think that's the type of enhancement, right? The type of augmentation to our lives that, that we're going to see. You know, so if I didn't have to do anything, that's great. That's not really the motivation here, but in my mind. But what, Kim, the, the so what? Like if I didn't have to do anything, what, what, what do you think the so what is? Uh, you know, I, I think I've thought a lot about Christine's point about this need to collaborate. So, so that, you know, how do you overcome that friction point between business and technology? And as per usual, it's not about the technology, it's about people and processes. So how do you really look at an organization, the people, the skill sets, and the processes that are being used to, to get to a successful AI program? I think Christine's point about understanding business goals and objectives, then thinking about OCM, then figuring out implementation. I mean, it's just, again, classic change management. But AI is not special. And in fact, it might even be more sensitive given some of the, the issues that we've already talked about, you know, job displacement and um, avoiding the PR scandal when you have some problem with one of your machine learning programs that results in <laughs> bad results. Bad bot. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, to me, the so what is there still has to be that North Star yeah. um, that we talked about that looks broadly at the why and the what before just diving into the how. And I think looking at the why and the what will really help demystify what AI is, you know, you, you set me you set me up perfectly. I didn't even share this with you, but I think you said demystify. I think that's the now what I think, you know, again, there's so much literally lifetime of hype and excitement and the whole sci-fi thing. And by the way, thanks for the Raised by Wolves reference there or recommendation. I need another one. So that to me was sort of the, the now what. I think now what is you, you go out there and you demystify it for yourself. And I think one of the things that is really cool, and I've done this myself, is if you go out to, there are some really accessible AI platforms out there. Amazon, Microsoft Azure have some really cool ways to kind of dip your toe in fact if you really accessible want accessible ai sounds like an yeah oxymoron. yeah well I'll, <laughs> I'll i'll make the point maybe but I, I there's look there's a lot of inaccessible i mean there's a lot you can go pretty nerdy true you know and but you, you know what's cool is you can do it on the cloud i can be up and running literally in five minutes and i can be coding in python if i really wanted to but one of the things that, that i think would be interesting for for folks to look at are some of the cloud ready platforms and i was looking at amazon has a bunch of services. One of them is called Comprehend. And it goes out there and it does basically sentiment analysis. You go back and look at all this unstructured data from, let's say, product reviews or social media or news, and it can kind of help you make sense. And you can kind of train it as well. You know, so it's doing a lot of the heavy lifting, but it's, I think, a great way to kind of get started with understanding the power and the value of AI. Uh, Azure has something called Q&A Maker. Kind of a similar idea. You take all this unstructured data from FAQ pages and manuals, and you can start to actually construct a really interesting model, uh, an FAQ. I think that's a great experiment. So I think there's some really cool ways that you can kind of dive in and really, really start to see it for yourself. You know, so I think find a use case, immerse yourself in this paradigm, right? And kind of like we said in another episode around design thinking and and Google Sprints and CXAMP, give yourself five days, take a use case, jump in, learn from it, see how the model works, 
and demystify it for yourself. So I think that's uh, it's a fun winter exercise for everyone to do. Yeah. I mean, we're all here. We're all about to be locked down again. I'm going to try Amazon Comprehend. <laughs> I think that would be fascinating. And yeah. and, and it, is, it is to your point, you know, a lot of these low code, no code platforms are emerging. AI right there along with it. Yep. Right underneath it. Right yeah. behind it. <laughs> all right. Well, great, Kim. As always, love these conversations and love that we got a chance to talk to Christine today as well. So we'll see you next time. Yeah. Thanks, Jim. You've been listening to What If So What with Jim Hertzfeld and Kim williams Chopek. Subscribe to the podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. You can find this season along with show notes at Proficient.com. We're also on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google, and other major podcast platforms. Thanks for listening. Thank you.